You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 18th of March 2020 on Monocle 24. This is Monocle's House View. A very warm welcome to today's programme. I'm Emma Nelson and coming up today... For sure it's a start and I think the important thing is that the government is shown to be taking the initiative, to be responding, to be flexible. But the concern among business is that things will be covered, not that they're going to have to go into debt for this, even with easy repayments. A financial rescue package from the UK's new Chancellor. Is it enough? My guests Lance Price and Adam Labour will discuss that and the day's other news including it's business as usual for Vladimir Putin and with soap opera filming being cancelled here in the UK, we ask what place they have in culture. Plus... I don't recall when a then-clever comms advisor thought of this United We Stand concept of bringing as many players as possible up on stage, but this is a performance whose time has passed. Monocle's editor-in-chief, Tyler Brulé, on the optics of the political address. I'm Emma Nelson. Monocle's House View starts now. And a very warm welcome to today's programme. Joining me are the journalist and author Adam Labour and Lance Price, former Director of Communications at Number 10 Downing Street. Let's begin with the financial rescue package announced by the British Chancellor Rishi Sunak to keep the economy afloat. A mind-boggling £350 billion. A business rate holiday and grants for retailers and pubs. Help for airlines is also being considered. Adam, let me begin with you. Is it enough? It's a start. For sure it's a start. And I think the important thing is that the government is shown to be taking the initiative, to be responding, to be flexible. There's a move away in policy from uh, the idea, I think, of flattening the curve and isolation to something in between. The government's responded to the Imperial College study. But the concern among business is that this amount of money, which is a massive amount of money, is essentially they're talking about loans and debts. So businesses want to see that things will be covered, not that they're going to have to go into debt for this, even with easy repayments. This is the issue, isn't it, Lance, that um, lots of companies saying, yeah, fine, give us a loan now, but when are we going to repay this thing? Yes, um, and that obviously will be a worry for them, although the loans are on very generous terms, um, we're led to understand. But I think this was very much a a holding statement. It was quite bold, and the the headline figures were enormous, as as Adam says. Um, But we still need an awful lot more detail before we can understand really how the government intends to support not only businesses, and I think some businesses will have got some reassurance, and and, uh, there were grants available for small businesses and uh, holidays on business rates and that sort of thing, which are a major overhead for them. Um, But there was nothing there for the self-employed. There was nothing to explain how people who are renting their homes, how individual uh, households are going to be supported and individuals themselves are going to be supported through all of this. So I think there'll be a lot more announcements uh, to come, uh, presumably because, as Adam says, these are um, loans and loan guarantees, um, not all of this money is going to come out of the public coffers. Uh, so therefore, I think we can expect some more big announcements with some more very big sums, uh, supporting both individuals and households and particular sectors of the economy, like the uh, airline industry and the airports, for example. There is that suggestion, isn't there, Adam, that 
were Rishi Sunak's um, plan to be put in, implemented in full, he would feel an obligation to help absolutely every single business, large or small, inside the United Kingdom. How possible is that? Well, I assume it is possible because, I mean, states and governments have reserves. You know, A state has to be ready in the unlikely event of having to go to war. So how much would that cost? I mean, it would cost more than coronavirus costs to actually physically mobilise and start fighting and using the Navy and the Army and the Air Force. So states have reserves, and I'm sure that Britain has a reserve as well. But yes, it does raise the question exactly of who the money is going to go to, how is it going to get there? Also, you, you know, you may find some companies that actually might be able to make it through, but are saying, well, yeah, if that's going, I want, you know, we want that as well. And, and also, arguably, why shouldn't they? Because who knows how this is going to pan out but and also as, as lance has said there's a question of people working on zero hour contracts and the self-employed and people with you know one or two companies uh, who might employ themselves through a company how are they going to get through this so there's there's a lot to be uh, decided on the other hand when you consider how slow governments usually are in responding to things this is quite a rapid move it's just uh, not so long since we've had the actual budget and now in effect there's a kind of new crisis budget so things are moving which is reassuring Lance certainly are moving quickly as Adam has suggested but um, having worked inside number 10 how political will these decisions be at the moment or has that gone out of the window for a greater purpose? Well, I'm afraid everything that comes out of number 10 is political in some sense. Um, and clearly, this is an enormous test of Boris Johnson as a new prime minister of the United Kingdom. Uh, he hasn't been in the job very long. Uh, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, who made the announcement yesterday, even less time, I and mean, literally a matter of, of weeks. Um, so they will be... Um, considering, because they're politicians and they just can't help themselves, what this uh, is saying about them as, as political leaders and how they're being judged. But I think very sensibly, um, and this is exactly what um, we used to do when I was in Downing Street, when we faced um, a crisis of one sort or another, whether it was actually in our time it was um, foot and mouth disease that was affecting um, cattle rather than people, but you surround yourself by the scientists and by the experts And you keep repeating over and over again, as they have done, that they're following the scientific advice. Uh, And let's not forget, you know, there was a a pretty massive U-turn this week from what the government was saying only a few days ago. Um, And the announcement that came yesterday from the Chancellor was a representation of that U-turn. And and politically, they cover themselves by saying, we're following the scientific advice. And they will continue saying that following the scientific advice. Um, so that, I mean, so that in the short term, at least, people can't point to them and say, you, the politicians, uh, are making a mess of this or not acting fast enough. Uh, talking about me- politicians making a mess of things, um, Adam, let's, let's listen or let's turn a little bit more to what Donald Trump has been saying. Um, there seems to have been a suggestion of some kind of citizen's dividend being offered to, uh, to Americans today. Apparently, Donald Trump wants to send everybody $1,000. Uh, uh, how successful an idea do you think that might be? Well, I think it could be quite successful in the terms in terms of that there's a lot of very poor people in America and also people who don't have health coverage who are thinking, how am I going to get through this? So on the one level, it's quite uh, tokenistic. But on the other hand, you know, a thousand dollars to a lot of people is is a thousand dollars. So it's very much a kind of Trumpian business type approach to it, to, to the whole crisis. It's the, the kind of random 
random gestures which are not really solving the essential issue for America, which as far as I can see is the lack of socialized medicine. There's no proper national health system in America and people are already coming out. If you look on Twitter and in the media, with incredible stories of how difficult it is to get tested. Then there's a whole stress of how of having to pay for the test and is it covered uh, or is it a co-payment? There's all these things that uh, you know we that are adding a whole new deep layers of stress onto everyday people's lives, which we simply don't have to deal with here because we have socialized medicine. But many Americans don't understand the difference between what they see as socialism and socialized medicine. They think that if you have the state providing basic medical care, you're kind of one step away from um, Lenin taking over and sending the KGB round. But one other thing I'd like to say as well is that just to flip back to Britain and to Boris Johnson, in a way, it's uh, so far, I think he's presented himself quite well. He's always flanked by the chief scientific advisor and the chief medical officer. And as Lance says, they're very much presenting this as we're following the medical and scientific advice, which I think is sensible and is working. But there's also an element here of be careful what you wish for. I mean, Boris has written a biography of Churchill. We know that he sees himself as having Churchillian tendencies. Well, now he's got to deal with the greatest post-war crisis that Britain's ever faced. So we're going to really see how much of a Churchill he is. Indeed, some people have suggested actually that he, you know, he was relatively the opportunity to drag the United Kingdom out of chaos. Uh, it doesn't look like he's enjoying it now, does he, Lance? Well, he's certainly under a lot of pressure and, and, and you have to understand that you know, he's a human being like everybody else. But the Churchill analogy, I think, is a very interesting one um, and it does relate to what I've been saying about the United States as well. Churchill was a great war leader. Uh, he uh, had a great command of the English language and in, in, in many respects, Boris Johnson would like to be um, associated with that and, and model himself on that. But let's not forget that although um, all the forces in the country were mobilized during the Second World War by Churchill and by others in the government, at the end of the Second World War, the people of Britain turned their back on Churchill. They liked the idea of uh, the sort of socialism that they had experienced during the war, the state taking control, the state looking after the population, and so on. Um, And it could well be, actually, But in the longer term, and I'm sure that uh, Boris Johnson is thinking of this too, um, that that it could actually work to his political disadvantage in that respect. Adam Labore and Lance Price there. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, here's Monocle's Marcus Hippie with some of the other stories we've been following today. Thanks, Emma. Success in yesterday's primaries has put moderate Democrat Joe Biden 291 delegates ahead of progressive candidate Bernie Sanders in America's Democratic primaries. Biden swept ahead in Florida, Illinois and Arizona with voters saying they were prioritizing electability. Shares in a Japanese pharmaceutical company have soared after Chinese doctors praised the efficiency of one of its drugs in treating coronavirus. Favipiravir was developed in 2014 by Fujifilm Toyama Chemical and has proved effective against coronavirus in medical trials in China, reportedly cutting recovery time down from an average of 11 days to 4. 
And today's Monocle Minute reports on telecom and software companies which are benefiting from people being forced to work from home. Firms across the world are cutting costs for consumers and working hard to ensure that they can deal with the extra users. For more stories like this, subscribe to the Monocle Minute at monocle.com forward slash minute. Those are the headlines. Now back to you, Emma. Thank you very much indeed, Marcus. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Emma Nelson, here with Lance Price and Adam Labour. The EU has accused Moscow of amplifying fear about the coronavirus. Reports suggest the Kremlin has been actively trying to make people in the West lose faith in the emergency services. Adam, what's happening here? I don't think it's as direct as the Kremlin is trying to scare us into panicking, but there's a zero-sum game going on here which is that if there's chaos and disinformation in the West, then uh, it's Moscow sees that as working to its advantage. They've got a very old-fashioned Cold War mentality now in Russia that what's bad for the West is good for Russia. But really, uh, even if Moscow is doing that, it doesn't help because this is a global crisis and a virus that doesn't respect any boundaries or ideologies or regimes. So it would make much more sense to actually come together on this and for Russia to work with the West and say, let's let's get on this together and try and dial down these tensions, get out of this mindset. It's true that there is this EU report. I don't know how true that is. I mean, it's but it's Russia should get past this idea that what's bad for us is good for them, because when it comes to coronavirus, what's bad for us is bad for everyone. Lance, in a moment when we need clear information, what proactive state steps can be taken to make sure that everybody, as Adam would like to happen, plays fair? Well, if you're talking uh, in the UK context, I think that uh, there simply has to be absolute transparency. So if you do change your strategy, as the government has, you have to be very honest about the reasons why. um, And you can't afford, and this is where Uh, I mean, I don't think the Kremlin are going to get anywhere if this is what they're trying to do. Good luck to them. Um, I think the British people and the people of the rest of the Western democracies are too sensible to be taken in by that. Um, But the way in which you stop that happening is to be absolutely straight with your public. Um, uh, And uh, so long as government information is entirely reliable and isn't seen to be spun in any way and isn't seen uh, to be um, concealing things in any way, then the public will continue to have, as I think they have at the moment, faith in what they're being told by by ministers and by by the officials. The the counter to that, of course, is, um, you know, if states are starting to take a one nation uh, approach to it and try to see ways in which they can get some competitive advantage against other nations, um, then um, while our government in, in Britain and most European governments, I think, are a shining example of how to do it. The American government, President Trump, absolutely isn't. And the way in which he is blaming all this on China, on, 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 on having a very America first and a Donald Trump first approach to, to, to the policy um, is the one thing that would play into the hands uh, of, uh, of, of the Russians or anybody else. And indeed, we have an idea, don't we, Adam, that if that Vladimir Putin does love to be the country's strong man. It's what keeps him in power. And he could arguably take any dithering by the West as an opportunity to cement his own reputation. Not that it needs much more cementing, let's be honest. Well, I think you're completely right. I mean, Putin sees everything as an opportunity. He views everything as a prism 
for whether or not and how he can carry on staying in power and how he can assert the rational national interest. So something like this, he's viewing through the interests of Moscow and through his own interests. But really, uh, as I said, this, this, this is not a virus that, that respects any borders or boundaries. So you can make the counter argument, perhaps some people even making it, that actually this is the time that the Kremlin should be reaching out and saying, you know what, let's work together. Because he did do that. He has done that before. After 9-11, we know that, that Moscow reached out to uh, Washington and said, this is horrific. What's happened to you? How can we help? How can we work together? And one of the reasons that he later became so anti-American and anti-Western is that those those efforts were not really appreciated or very reciprocated. So I think this is it's it's a time when he could recalibrate things to his own advantage and also gain international stature as saying, actually, this is a global thing and Russia's here to help. Finally, soap is something we've all become rather too used to recently. A favourite subject matter at the moment is how painful our overwashed hands have become. But a different kind of soap of the kind we see on the television could well become a focus if we all end up self-isolating on the sofa. But even the soap operas don't enjoy immunity from the coronavirus. EastEnders, the blockbuster stalwart of the British evening schedules, is being cancelled during the outbreak. Uh, Lance, I don't know about you, but every time I watched EastEnders, it just brought me down. Some Some people might cheer the departure of something which is very well acted and very well done, but is awfully depressing. (laughs) Well, you may well. I I don't watch EastEnders. Um, uh, uh, I started 20 years ago and I never stuck and I didn't carry on. So I'm with you on that. Um, Actually, I think there's a real challenge here for the broadcasters. uh, And they're all doing it. I mean, nearly all big soaps are are being cancelled for the protection of the crews and the actors. And absolutely right. But I think for the creative industries in this country, there ought to be an opportunity to find a way of telling the story of how people are responding to the crisis dramatically um, and using uh, soap opera characters, perhaps, characters from these vendors, maybe filmed in their own homes, uh, to tell the story about how this is something that we can uh, deal with together by supporting one another, by supporting communities. I mean, these vendors and those sorts of programs are all about local communities, how are communities responding, how are they dealing with it, how are neighbours helping each other. Um, And we know that soap operas can have a very powerful influence on the national conversation and on how we regard ourselves and how we think about ourselves. So I would hope that there are people at the BBC and at the other broadcasters who are thinking hard about this and thinking, well, maybe we can't do the big blockbuster filming that we have been doing up until now, but maybe there are other ways of telling the story of what Britain's going through and the rest of the world is going through at the moment. So how do we, Adam, if you were sort of head of commissioning for a large broadcaster, how would you act or create something that would act as a societal mirror that didn't make us all want to go and jump in the river? Well, I think what you'd want to do is you want to show the reality of it. I I think it's a very interesting idea that what Lance has said, actually, just suddenly got me thinking. Um, yeah, you'd want, to, you'd want to show something that shows the complexity of it. And so there's an upside and a downside. And just what I've seen here uh, in North London is on my street, there's, uh, we have a WhatsApp group and already the neighbours are all reaching out to each other, offering to help do the shopping for self-isolation and um, you know, rallying rounds. But at the same time, I've noticed there's definite stress and tension in the air. You know, yesterday I went shopping and there was someone behind me and I didn't see them and I let the door go and he came out kind of ranting and raving at me that I'd let the door almost slam in his face, which I certainly hadn't intended to. But, you know, there, it was a bit of a hair trigger moment. I didn't reply, but, you know, and I've seen that in other places, people sort of 
being very careful not to go near each other. There's a tension. There's, so there's two things going on. There's a communality rising, but there's also a tension rising. So you'd want to show that. And I think you'd have to be careful not to get into the propaganda of it's all going to be fine and we're all rallying around. But people understand the complexity of what's going on around them. And I think uh, some drama that reflected that, I think, would be would be very welcome. Adam Labour and Lance Price, thank you very much indeed for joining us on Monocle 24. In a moment, we hear from our editor-in-chief, Tyler Brule, on the line from Zurich. But you're listening to Monocle's House View. Stay tuned. I want to write books that rip your heart out, that suck your soul and lash your libido, make you look at the world differently and move you to tears at the end. The Big Interview, long-form conversations about the lives and careers of the most exciting names in art, design, literature, politics, business, food and more. Now there's a term for everything nowadays, isn't there? Farm to fork and farm to face and sort of zero waste and all of that. Well, you know, you just didn't waste. That's for sure you didn't waste. So every single scrap was eaten up. And if you grow something yourself, I can tell you, you use every single scrap of it. Hear from the masters themselves about their art, their craft, their secrets and successes. Listen to new episodes and delve into the full back catalogue of The Big Interview on our website, monocle.com, or tune in live right here on Monocle 24. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Emma Nelson. Finally, today, our editor-in-chief, Tyler Brule, on politicians and authorities presenting a front when the cameras are rolling. You're familiar with the setting a mayor, governor, cabinet minister, or head of state standing behind a podium. Behind him or her, anywhere from five to 15 other aides, assistants, advisors, junior ministers, and extras in uniform. Behind them, some flags and a backdrop that might say Ministry of Health, Police Department, Educational and Correctional Services, or perhaps a familiar coat of arms. I don't recall when a then-clever comms advisor thought of this United We Stand concept of bringing as many players as possible up on stage, but this is a performance whose time has passed. When Rudy Giuliani tried it out when he was mayor of New York, it was novel and achieved many tasks. But if tomorrow is a day in which you want to stay home and stay with your family and uh, give comfort and support maybe to other people that have been affected by this, it it would be a good day to do that. With some clever casting, he could master many messages. Look at my management team, New York. Check it out, world. Not only do I have a capable team who look good in uniform, I also have a black detective, Hispanic public health officer, and a lesbian fire chief. With some clever staging, a leader could appeal to his electorate's inner concerns about diverse representation while also showing capable stewardship. Over the years, this format has gone global, but with limited effect. Somehow the leadership phalanx works in the US, has a limited run in Latin America, and simply fails elsewhere. For big-headed leaders who like to own the mic, you're left focusing on the porky permanent secretary shifting back and forth in his uncomfortable loafers. Or the stand-in junior minister thumb-pummeling his Samsung Galaxy. In these times, we don't need a chorus of possible experts and advisors lined up behind a single leader. We need a couple of super-competent communicators who can deliver sound, timely advice, answer questions from the press corps, and return to the lectern at an appropriate point when there is something important to announce. Switzerland's federal council did a super job on Monday evening when the country moved into semi-lockdown. 
And President Macron more than made his point in his national address the same eve. Partout sur notre territoire, avec des premiers espoirs qui naissent, et nous continuerons aussi d'avancer sur le vaccin. Besides, who'd want to watch a bunch of ministers blocking the fine interiors of the Elysee Palace? From Article in Zurich, I'm Tyler Brule. And that was Tyler Brule, our editor-in-chief. That's all we have for today's programme. Monocle's House View was produced by Augustin Machilari and researched by Charlie German. Our studio manager was Christy Evans. Coming up at 20.00 London time, a brand new edition of The Entrepreneurs. Monocle's House View is back at the same time tomorrow. That's 18.00 London time. But for now, from me, Emma Nelson, goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>